You're listening to Leading in the City, brought to you by Lead NYC. I take this assignment seriously, and I've been asking the Lord which way he wants me to go, and I, I think I've landed on where he wants. And, and there are two specific scriptures during this time of COVID that the Lord just, Bishop, just hit me with that I wasn't looking for to be hit. There is the reading of the word that you give, and there is the way that the word reads you. Yeah. And, the, and the thing about reading the word is you never know when you're going to be read by the word. And so I just want to share two passages of scripture where the Lord read me. And maybe the Lord will be reading all of us today. The first is Jeremiah chapter 45. I'm reading from the Renegade version, the New Living Translation. <laughs> The prophet Jeremiah gave a message to Baruch, son of Neriah, in the fourth year of the reign of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, after Baruch had written down everything Jeremiah had dictated to him. He said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says to you, Baruch. You have said, I'm overwhelmed with trouble. Haven't I had enough pain already? And now the Lord has added more. I am worn out from sighing and can find no rest. Baruch, this is what the Lord says. I will destroy this nation that I built. I will uproot what I planted. Are you seeking great things for yourself? Don't do it. I will bring great disaster upon all these people, but I will give you your life as a reward wherever you go. I, the Lord, have spoken. I don't like reading Jeremiah. <laughs> my, my, my practice is to pick a one-year Bible and to read the Bible through each, each year, and invariably, whenever I come to Jeremiah, I just don't like re reading him. <laughs> and the reason I don't like reading him is because he jumps back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. It's not linear. It's back and forth. It's, it's, it's back and forth. It's, it, it's like these television shows now that take you five years <laughs> and then three years back. And, and that's the way it was. That's the way it is for me with Jeremiah. And so when it came to my devotional time to reading Jeremiah 45, I didn't know what time I was going to be in. I wasn't looking for it. I wasn't excited about reading it. But then I read it. And it began to read me. Because when you think of, of, of what we've had to do during this time of COVID, Absent the many events of church life, what God has crystallized is the virtue and value and the essentiality of us preaching the preached word. 
and what we haven't known and what to think and have thoughts that take us down roads from which we did not think we would return and have been overwhelmed by frustrations and fears and worries and anxieties and grief and depression, God sent a word to us. And God spoke a word through us to help people come to terms with their own thoughts, their own fears, their own anxieties, their own feelings. And the word didn't just help them come to terms with them, but help them overcome them. And what God has been using us to do is reframe. I believe that was spoken about earlier on yesterday. God has been using our speaking his word to reframe people so that they could take their thoughts and their feelings and fears and they can be taken captive and made obedient unto Jesus Christ. And that's what we see going on right here in Jeremiah 45. God sends a reframing word through Jeremiah to his assistant named Baruch. Baruch served as Jeremiah's scribe, recording all of the events and writing all of the sayings and letters of Jeremiah. He was with Jeremiah through many, if not most, of Jeremiah's escapades and episodes. And as such, he's had to hear all of Jeremiah's complaining, while at the same time having his own issues, having his own questions, having his own worries, having his own challenges. And being with Jeremiah in his lament had to cause Baruch to have lament of his own grief of his own grievances of his own and isn't that the case with all of us as pastors as we deal with individuals who have issues of their own griefs of their own grievances of their own we also have issues of our own griefs of our own grievances of our own as 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 Jeremiah was in exile as the people were in exile he too was in exile. He too suffered stress and dislocation and disruption and disappointment. And we get a sense of that in verse 3 where he is, he is noted as saying, Woe is me. The Lord has added sorrow to my pain. I am weary with my groaning. And I find no rest. This scribe is weary, sorrowful. He's had just about as much as he can take. Anybody ever been there? He's had just about. And God sends a word through Jeremiah for Baruch. The God who has Jeremiah speaking to nations and to kings is the God who has a word for his scribe. The God who uses Baruch as a scribe to send words to everybody else has a word for him. Isn't that the wonderful thing about God? God knows when you need a word for you. Not a word for the people, but a word for you. And God produces and God provides those words. God sends this word to Baruch through Jeremiah with reframing in mind. And notice the message does not offer a promise of a change of his situation, offers no promise of turnaround, no word of breakthrough, 
but rather it seeks to give him a different perspective and put what is his in a different frame. The power of faith and a relationship with God is the ability to see life differently, to look at the same thing from a different perspective. And he often changes how we view the stuff of our life. He doesn't change the facts. He changes how we understand the facts, how we interpret, how we come to relate to them. And there are three points of reframing. The first is God seeks to reframe our sense of awareness. God repeats what Baruch has been saying to himself. There is no passage in Jeremiah that reports Baruch said so-and-so. Jeremiah provides Jeremiah's complaints. We don't get Baruch's complaints. But the fact that we don't see them doesn't mean he doesn't have them. They, they are just kept to himself. They are his self-talk. They are the makeup of conversations that only he knows about. And yet God says they're not limited to him. God hears them. And having heard them, having felt them, having known them, God speaks a word letting Baruch know, I am aware. Somebody's been feeling him. Somebody's been feeling his disappointment. Somebody's been feeling his grief and his grievances. Somebody's been feeling his tensions. And there are times when we have thoughts, when we have feelings that we believe nobody knows. We speak them only to ourselves because we believe only we can handle them. They are thoughts that may even frighten us, scare us, worry us, challenge us, and we dare not share them with anybody else for a variety of reasons. We keep them to ourselves because sometimes we may not want to add anything to what's already on them. But then other times, we keep thoughts to ourselves because we don't know what to do with them. And if we don't know what to do with them, we sure don't know how they're going to respond to them, how they can handle them. We say in our minds, if I can't handle it, I know they can't handle it. And there are still other times when we, when we fear, if I do share it with you, what will you think of me? What will you think of me? Well, can you actually handle what I'm really thinking right now? What I'm really feeling? When, when, when people ask you, how you, you doing? You, you got to wonder, do you really want to know? <laughs> could, you, could, you, could you handle it if I really told you? Could you hold it if I really said it to you? It could have been any of those things for Baruch. And God comes with the word through Jeremiah to reframe his thinking, letting him know, I hear you. I feel you. I know you. And brothers, the same is true for you. The, the, the stuff that you haven't shared, as much as you've shared, there's stuff you haven't shared. And the Lord is saying, I hear you. I feel you. I know you. I got you. And notice, 
God alerts Baruch to knowing what Baruch has been saying to himself, not what he's prayed to God. The thoughts and feelings have not been shared with God in prayer. They've just been carried by Baruch in anguish and grief. How often is that the case with us? How often do we have troubling thoughts and feelings that, that we only speak to ourselves and never speak to God? Maybe it's because we have a, a view of God that God could not handle the thought. Or that God might, might somehow change how he views us if we're actually honest with him. Can I set you free? God, God knows every thought you have. As a matter of fact, the Bible says he knows our thoughts, what? Afar off. That is before they, they, are, they ever become a full thought to you. God knows the thought bubble that's going on in your head. And guess what? He does not change. He does not love you any less. He has not revoked his call or claim upon your life. And all that God wants to know is can you trust him enough to be honest with him? What, what, what thought or feeling have you not shared with God? How, 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 how transparent, how, how honest have we been with, with him? Having alerted Baruch of his awareness, God's next words strike an interesting chord. Thus you shall say to him, thus says the Lord, I'm going to break down what I've built and pluck up what I've planted. That is the whole land. Now, God, God just said, I know that you've said, I have added sorrow to your pain. One would think that God would give a promise, I'm about to lift something. But look at what God says. I'm about to break down. I'm about to pluck up what I planted. Now, this is the word of the Lord. No word of change, no lift, no turnaround. God says, I'm about to break it down. I'm about to pluck it up. The disruption is not ending. The dislocation is not abating. The destruction is not lessening. And with that, God hits, hit me. I don't know about you, but he hit me with this word. Certain disruptions can't be avoided. Certain disruptions can't be avoided. This is a hard pill to swallow. Because as people of faith, we've been led to believe that with the right measure of faith, with the right hookup with God, being a part of the right fellowship, saying the name of Jesus the right way, having the right mixture of oil, being a part of the right prayer chain, that should be able to turn everything around. We should be able to avoid, if not lessen the brunt of some blows. Baruch is the scribe of Jeremiah. He's his adjutant. Certainly, he should get a break. And yet God says, mm -mm. I'm about to break down and I'm about to pluck up and it's going to happen to you. The reframing is knowing that certain disruptions are unavoidable even to you. Even to you. It, and it has nothing to do with your place in God, your your, your prayer life, your church, your prayer language, your anointing, it has everything to do with some experiences being common to all of us with no exceptions. 
Isn't that what COVID showed us? He shut everybody down, including the church. Every, everybody experienced a shutdown because there are certain experiences that are common to all. Faith does not give us a pass. Service doesn't provide an exemption. And when I make that adjustment in my thought, then I come to understand that the value of faith is not a matter of from. It's a matter of through. During this season, God has been adjusting a whole lot of us in terms of our faith being a from faith to a through faith that we have not been exempted from, but we have been escorted through. We have not been spared from, but we have been seen through. We have not been kept from, but we have been carried through. You've been preaching through. You've been teaching through. You've been counseling through. You've been leading through. God has been seeking to reorient us from a from faith to a through faith. You weren't kept from a stroke. As anointed as you are, but you've been brought through a stroke. And I want you, I want you to think about just the past 18 months, what you've come through. I want you to put in your mind all of the things that, that you could not avoid, wish you could avoid, may have prayed to avoid. And God said, no, uh-uh. No, you have to go through this one. No, 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 no. You don't get a pass. You've got to go through this one, but there's one more, one more part of the reframing in Jeremiah 45. It's, it's not just knowing God's awareness, which moves us from self-complaint to prayer, and that certain disruptions are unavoidable, which moves us from a from faith to a through faith. But, but God then reframes expectations and joy. Now, now it took me a while to get, get this because, because if you keep listening to God, God doesn't seem to let up on the bad news. I mean, after talking about breaking down and plucking up, God then says, hey, Baruch, do you seek great things for yourself? Do not seek them, for I'm going to bring disaster upon all flesh, says the Lord. But I will give you your life as a prize of war in every place to which you go. Now to understand this, we've got to know something about Baruch. Baruch is the son of Neriah, brother of Sarahiah, and of an official under King Zedekiah. He comes from a prominent and well-connected family, and as such, he may have had grand plans for public life, political power, economic prosperity, social cachet, and all of that closed when he hitched up with Jeremiah, who constantly critiqued the very establishment from which Baruch came. Hearing Baruch's thoughts afar off, God queries, what plans you've been making for yourself? You've been making some great plans, and that word great means grand plans, grand in size, grand in importance, and you know 
Now let's just be honest. We're not people who make small plans. <laughs> All of us make great plans, don't we? Look at, ask your brother, are your plans small? <laughs> no. No, 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 no. Nobody in this room is a person of small plans. Great, grand, magnificent, right? Imagine God asking you, have you been making great plans for yourself? Hmm? You've been making great plans for the church, for the ministry. Grand, right? Right? You've been, you've been seeing, calling things that were not as though they are. Great plans. An idea about how life should be, what you would do, where you would go. And hear God say, none of that's going to occur. Hear God say, none of that. As a matter of fact, the very antithesis of what you've been planning is going to happen. I'm going to, I'm going to bring destruction on all flesh. Not just heathens, but holy people are going to have it rough. Let that, let, that, let that settle in because I would imagine if God says that to, to one of us, I rebuke the devil in Jesus' name. <laughs> that can't be God. But this is God. This is God talking, right? But then God says, but I'm going to give your life as a prize of war wherever you go. That, that Baruch, where you go may not be ideal, but you're going to come out of it with your life. It may, it, it may not be what you want, but when you come through it, your life is going to be a prize. And what God does is shift him from despairing of missing great things to celebrating simple things. That he should appreciate simple things. And the simple things are the greatest things. Because, brothers, the simple things are what survive disruption. The small things are what endure transition. And wherever he went, his life would be the prize in his ups, in his downs, in his ins and his outs, in his much and in his less. His life would be the prize. And God says the same thing to you and me. Wherever you may go, your life will be the prize. Whatever you may go through, whatever you may have to endure, whatever you may have to carry, your life will be the prize. You may have to go through some despairing places and, and some despondent places, but you will come out of this with your life as the prize. Will you look at your brother and say, my life is the prize. My life is the prize. And, I, and, and see, your brother that does not know what that means because your brother has no idea what you have gone through, the stuff you've had to face, what you've been carrying. Because when you come out with your life as a prize, it, you, you're looking like a prize. You're not looking like the war. <laughs> Catch that. You're looking like the prize. You're not looking like the war. You're looking like the prize. You're not looking like the stroke. 
You're looking like the prize. You're not looking like the the what has happened in the church that you came here with that was on your mind, but God says, I'm going to bring you out, and your life will be a prize. That was the first one that God dropped on me. But the second one came, came a little later. Let me hurry up. 1 Samuel 13, 7 through 14, it reads this way. Some of them crossed the Jordan River and escaped into the land of Gad and Gilead. Meanwhile, Saul stayed at Gilgal, and his men were trembling with fear. Saul waited there seven days for Samuel, as Samuel had instructed him earlier, but Samuel still didn't come. Saul realized that his troops were rapidly slipping away, so he demanded, bring me the burnt offering and the peace offerings. And Saul sacrificed the burnt offering himself. Just as Saul was finishing with the burnt offering, Samuel arrived. Saul went out to meet him and welcome him, but Samuel said, what is this you have done? Saul replied, I saw my men scattering from me, and you didn't arrive when you said you would, and the Philistines are at Michmash ready for battle. So I said, the Philistines are ready to march against us at Gilgal, and I haven't even asked for the Lord's help. So I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering myself before you came. How, yeah. <laughs> How foolish, Samuel exclaimed. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. Had you kept it, the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom must end, for the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. The Lord has already appointed him to be the leader of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. So the background is Samuel gave Saul some instructions, told him, look, I'm coming. Wait until I come. And Samuel delayed coming. And Saul sees his troops getting restless and troops starting to leave. He said, I saw my men scattering from me. You didn't arrive when you said you would. And the Philistines are at Michmash ready for battle. Here, here it is. I, I have a fight to fight to fight. You're taking long, and troops are leaving. Troops are leaving. Saul's fear of troop departure motivates him to take unsanctioned action that displeases God and calls him the throne. His fear of troop departure, less troops facing Philistines, God taking too long, causes him to take unsanctioned action that results in his losing the throne and his seed missing their destiny. That hit me because what it let me know is Doing something to keep and please people can cause you to do something that displeases the Lord. The troops' impatience 
causes him to be hasty and a temporary concern issues a permanent loss for him the troops did not make him king God made him king his security was in God not in the troops but his heart for troop loyalty and troop presence was greater than his heart for God's presence and God's faithfulness because God says I'm going to find somebody who has a heart after me. You demonstrated that yours was more for the troops than it was for me. How often is so much of our time, anxiety, tension over troop retention? <laughs> How much of what you consider doing or not doing, saying or not saying, is conditioned by, will the troops leave? <laughs> what, will, what will the troops think? Troop retention can become an idol. You can become an idol. It, it, it wasn't that Saul was unclear about what Samuel directed. He was clear. Wait until I get here. That was it. And Saul says, but uh, when I saw the, the troops scattering, and the Philistines ahead, I did this. I, 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 have, I have to look at, where's my real trust? Where's my real security? Where's my real identity? It, is it with how many troops I got? How many troops I can keep? Or is it in the God who called me? <laughs> and the purpose that God has for my life. Let's just all be honest and say that there is this tension between the loyalty of troops and the faithfulness of God. And so much of our calculus is weighted on troop loyalty as opposed to God faithfulness. But what the text is designed, is trying to teach us is the faithfulness of God is far greater than the loyalty of troops. Troop loyalty has its limits. Here it is, here it is. The most loyal of troops. You know what they'll say? I'm going to follow you as long as. I'm going to follow you as long as. And whatever is on the other side of as long as is the limit of their loyalty. 
troop loyalty has limits. But I believe I heard in Lamentations, it is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. His compassions, they fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness unto us. That, 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 is, that is to say, the Lord's faithfulness is not conditioned by anything other than his mercy. Other than his mercy, other than his covenant faithfulness, the Lord's faithfulness. We do not live by loyalty. We live by faithfulness. And our calling is not about loyalty. Our calling is about the faithfulness of God. Troops will depart when things get rough, when resources get thin, when something newer comes on the scene, but the Lord, the Lord remains faithful. When your sermon flops, the Lord is faithful. When the program fails, the Lord is faithful. When you are no longer the flavor of the month, the Lord is faithful. When things get tight, the Lord is faithful. When people don't understand, the Lord is faithful. And so when you find yourself torn between troop departure and divine delay, let the troops go. Let the troops go and wait on the Lord because your sufficiency is not in the troops. Your sufficiency is in the Lord. And you do remember, you do remember Gideon started with, with 10,000, but, but, but it got down to, 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 to 300 because the Lord was faithful. Gideon will tell you, let the troops go. Look, look at Jesus in John chapter 6 when he speaks a hard word that, that the people can't get with. When he starts talking about him being the bread of life, the bread that came down from heaven, and, and those that ate of him and take of him, they'll have life. And, 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 and it says that, that many left and never came back. And Jesus said, he looked over at the disciples and said, y'all going too? You bouncing too? And Peter said, no, 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 no. We, we, we don't have this twisted. We know you got the word that leads to eternal life. Let the troops go because God will be faithful unto you. Those, those, those were the, the two words that the Lord dropped on me during these 18 months. Your life is the prize. Not the great things you see. Your life is a prize. And, 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 and it's all about the faithfulness the faithfulness of God. I don't, I don't know what tensions you're facing, what, what, what struggles, but I, but I want you to know the faithfulness of the Lord. I want you to know his utter commitment, listen to this, to himself, to you. You've been listening to Leading in the City, brought to you by Lead NYC. Tune in next time and join us on the web at lead.nyc.